0: Hey hey hey! Welcome, welcome everybody! Welcome to California Haunts Radio on a beautiful Monday here in California. I'm telling you you guys need to be jealous because it's beautiful here. Uh, Jennifer, I want to thank you for your uh, donation last weekend. You see, I got see I got the new headphones on, so I'm real excited about that. I don't have any more crackles and sound moving from side to side. So I want to thank you for that. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And I've got a great show lined up. Um, you know, I was a crime courts reporter back in the day, and uh, I used to look at all these high-profile these high cases like, you know, like MJ Simpson and Natalie Wood, these different cases. And the gentleman I have on with me tonight actually wrote a book about the Natalie Wood case. And he he'd seen, and he's come up with some interesting theories for it. So we're going to be talking with him. But before we get to that, I want to let everybody know we are almost sold out for our ghost hunt on the 26th. Uh, we have one spot left for that. So if any of you guys listening out in TV, land, uh, out TV and radio land, Want to go on a ghost hunt with me and meet me and hang out with me and play with play with really cool equipment you can do that i you know just uh check out our uh, california Radio.com website and go to special events and hit that button it'll pop right down for you and you can check it all out so uh i'm excited i'm excited to meet all you guys that, that are coming out to that event anyway uh we i I'm my name again my name is charlotte i own the california haunts paranormal investigation team based out of sacramento We are 35 up and down the state of California, and we also have branches in Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, and Nevada. So hopefully I'll get to Hawaii someday and ghost time. That'd be kind of fun, you know. But anyway, I want to thank our guest. He's already here with us, and he's going to be with us via Skype. And so um, we'll bring him in without further ado. And hello, Mr. Peroni.
1: Hello, Charlotte. How are you doing tonight?
0: Good. How are you?
1: I'm very good.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself, sir.
1: Um, uh, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I spent the first five and a half years of my career as a federal prosecutor and assistant U.S. attorney in Little Rock, Arkansas. And then when I finished that, I opened my own law firm and practiced for close to 30 years representing uh, defending people in uh, criminal law cases, uh, all the way from uh, uh, homicide cases to uh, white-collar crime fraud.
0: Fantastic. And what got you involved with the Natalie Wood case?
1: Well, uh, let me start off with this. Okay. Uh, Probably when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I uh, completely fell in love with Natalie Wood first time I spotted her on uh, on TV, I think it was. And so when when um, she passed away, um, it it was very uh, troubling to me, not only because none of it added up, but also just because, you know, we, I kind of grew up with Natalie Wood. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, within one day, she was 10 years older than I was. So When I was growing up, Natalie Wood was all over the movies, and uh, it was a very uh, traumatic event when she died. So fast forward to uh, 2010, I retired from the practice of law because of a medical situation. And uh, I was reading a book one day and it aggravated me so much. Uh, It was about Natalie Wood's uh, reopening of Natalie, alleged reopening of Natalie Wood's case in 2011. And I just slammed the book shut. I looked up at my wife and said, I'm going to investigate Natalie Wood's death. And uh, of course, you know, she looked at me kind of funny, like uh, I was out of my mind. But that was 2014. And my investigation is continuing.
0: How long did it take you to write the book, sir?
1: Um, Well, I wrote the book on and off while I was investigating. And you see, it was very difficult for me to investigate Natalie Wood's death um, because it wasn't like the hundreds of criminal law investigations I had conducted before. And the difference was subpoena power. In the criminal investigations I participated in in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I could issue a grand jury subpoena. And that grand jury subpoena could command people to come before the grand jury witnesses. They, it could command people to bring documents like banks or telephone companies. Um, and that's how I gathered up evidence. Uh, We could also use search warrants and other vehicles. But you see, as a private person, I didn't have any of that available to me. Mm -hmm. So what might have taken a district attorney uh, a couple of months to get, it took me a year to get. Uh, But uh, all in all, uh, it took about uh, six years uh, to uh, write the book and uh, find a publisher.
0: And, like you talk about, you know, regularities with the case, what did you find so peculiar about the case?
1: Well, um, uh, that question uh, uh, brings about uh, many elements. Uh, one day I sat down and made a list of the new details and evidence that I discovered in my investigation. And when I finished, I had 47 Um, details about the Los Angeles County Sheriff at the time, Peter pitches details about Christopher Walken details about the investigation in 2011 Uh, details about uh, the forensic uh, evidence Um, uh, details about hypothermia details about uh, 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 forensic pharmacology.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and all of those things entered into the, the uh, way in which I wrote this book.
0: Well, when you looked at that stuff, you know, uh, you, when you look at the public part of the case, the way it went down, there are, you know, in my opinion, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this stuff. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a little crime reporter from a small town. But, you know, from, from what I saw, there are a lot of things that don't add up. No,
1: there, there are. You're exactly right. There, there are many, many things that don't add up in Natalie Wood's case. And they start with the so-called investigation that was conducted in 1981. Um, if uh, your uh, listeners uh, purchased my book, They're going to see in there where I have pretty strong evidence that Natalie Woods investigation was over with uh, within 24 hours. Uh, And the rest of it was just basically for show. Uh, In addition, there was an official report that was prepared by the lead detective, uh, Dwayne Rocher, and uh, that report uh, I show in my book has been, in my opinion, intentionally manipulated uh, to uh, omit Mm -hmm. uh, significant findings. You said evidence that were right in the face of the investigators. Um, There have been uh, writers, uh, none of whom, by the way, have any criminal law investigation experience, but there have been Uh, suggestions by other writers that the detective was incompetent, or that he was negligent or, or something of that matter. But I show in my book where the things that happened to cause Natalie Wood's death investigation to be uh, classified as an accident, were intentional, and they were intentional by a, by a very, very experienced detective.
0: Now my question is, I'm trying to remember what time of year this took place. You know, the 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 death was it was it in winter or, or summer?
1: Yes, it, it was exactly uh, 40 years ago on November the 29th, 2022. Okay, uh, it occurred uh, off the coast of uh, Catalina Island in a place called the Isthmus uh, or Two Harbors, they call it. Uh, and uh, it was November the the 29th, mm-hmm. 1981. And I say November the 29th because all of the evidence that I have points to the fact that Natalie probably died in the early morning hours of November the 29th.
0: Okay, okay, all right. Now, can, can you give us a, a kind of, synopsis of what happened leading up to her death, please.
1: Yes. Well, just like any uh, potential homicide case, uh, there's a whole lot of things that uh, happen leading up to the homicide. But uh, uh, for your listeners, the, the Thanksgiving weekend of November, of 1981, uh, Christopher Walken was a guest on a yacht owned by Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. The only other person on the yacht was a, was the boat captain, Dennis DeVern. And uh, they uh, had planned a trip, a weekend trip to Catalina Island. The first day, of Friday, they went to Avalon and they moored in the cove there Uh, and uh, uh, there was uh, some circumstances that resulted in natalie leaving the yacht and spending the night in a hotel in avalon the pavilion hotel to be exact Um, saturday morning and and what happened was basically an argument that was started by Robert Wagner Mm -hmm. um, in what is pretty sure a fit of jealousy over Natalie paying too much attention to Christopher Walken. Um, There had been rumors uh, a couple of months earlier that Natalie and Christopher Walken uh, were uh, having an affair. While they were making a movie uh, in North Carolina, I personally don't believe it, uh, but um, they had become friends and Natalie was very interested in him because he was a New York method actor and she was very interested in that. Anyway, back to, to uh, Friday night. So, so there was this argument and Natalie left the boat and then she came back Saturday morning. And then Saturday morning, they motored down the coast to a more secluded place called the Isthmus. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was so secluded that they they had one restaurant in the area. It also had a bar, and that was it. I don't even know if they even had a grocery store. Uh, By car, it was roughly about uh, 15 miles from Avalon. Uh, And Saturday afternoon, uh, early Saturday afternoon, well, mid-Saturday afternoon, Natalie and Walken went to the restaurant and sat at the bar and were talking. And they were joined later by the boat captain and Robert Wagner. Uh, They sat at the bar for a while, drinking, of course, Mm -hmm. and... uh, Uh, Then they moved into the dining room where they had dinner. Um, Then after dinner, which was uh, filled with uh, interesting events, let's put it that way. After the dinner, they left to go back to the yacht about 10.30 p.m. And then about 7.44 a.m., Natalie's body was found floating about a mile and a half from the yacht.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You know what strikes me funny, too, about finding the body like they did? You know, she had on that real thick jacket. And, I mean, that thing had to have have weighted her down. I mean, would would there be enough wancy left to float if that jacket was that heavy?
1: Well, yes. Um, And uh, very troubling to say uh, it was a down jacket. Right. And it was holding Natalie up like a life jacket. Okay. If she had not had that on, uh, from all of the experts that I've talked to, her body would have sunk uh, down to the bottom of the water. And uh, those are shark infested waters there. Uh, so her, she may have n- uh, never been found if she hadn't had that jacket on. It kept it kept her up uh, at the top of the water. Of course, she had drowned, but uh, um, that's how the jacket got on her. Has been a mystery and will continue to be a mystery.
0: Well, yeah, that is that is interesting because this happened. I mean, supposedly she fell in that water late at night, right? The know, early morning hours.
1: Well, yes, that's, that's what the authorities and Robert Wagner have wanted everybody to believe, that uh, Natalie got up in the middle of the night because the dinghy was banging against the boat and went out to retie the dinghy so it wouldn't bang, and she slipped uh, through the swim step door, fell in the water, and nobody heard a thing. That's, that's basically their position
0: see I don't understand that because having had you know my my dad always had boats and having been around boats and I know why Laura in our uh, chat room also knows about boats a lot of those boat ties like that they're not on the back of the boat like that per se they're they're up on the you know the 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 railings of the boat so I don't get that you know how she had you know reached down and slipped through that thing Yes, I, I didn't mention it, but the boat
1: had a uh, about a 13-foot Zodiac dinghy, mm-hmm. which they used to get from the yacht to the shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would hold probably about five people max, I guess, uh, with the size of it safely anyway. Right. Maybe more than that if people got
2: up, got down on the floor. Right. But. Um,
1: There has been a dispute over the years about whether or not the dinghy was tied to the side of the boat or was tied to the back of the boat. Right. And I present significant evidence to show that it was tied uh, with a, or in a um, chrome eye ring Mm -hmm. that was attached to the stern of the boat. Okay. There was one painter line, and it was attached there.
0: Interesting. Of course, the thingy's rubber. Right, right. Well, that is interesting though, because you know, I, I just, I, I never, I'm not familiar with sailboats like that. You know, I'm, I'm more familiar. You know, I'm not familiar with that type, that that size of boat either. I'm more familiar with this, like like 26 footers. You know. But, uh, you know, because when you were talking about being tied, I thought, well, the only thing back there is the, the boarding ladder. But, of course, there was something else back there for them to tie, tie into, obviously. Um, yes.
1: Uh, yes, there are things on the back of the boat that okay. they could have tied the dinghy to. But based on statements by the boat captain, uh, it's pretty clear to me that the dinghy was tied with a single painter line on the front of the dinghy to the eye ring
2: okay, and basically was trailing
1: behind the yacht okay. and see that's one of the that's one of the uh, fallacies of the she got up and and was trying to tie the dinghy and then fell overboard Um, the yacht was facing into the wind i was going to say
0: yeah i was going to say okay
1: and so, yeah, I'd be trailing behind the boat, the, the boat not banging up against the boat. There was wind blowing it away from the boat.
0: Yeah, that was my next that's, question because you, you tend to anchor, you know, with the current when you do throw your anchor out. So that you're right, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Right. That's right, that's right. You, you, you point the boat into the wind mm-hmm. to keep it from bouncing around all the time. And all the boats in the isthmus were all pointing into the wind. Um, and in addition, the, the, the swim step, which you step on yeah. after you go through the swim step door was teakwood and it was surrounded. The edge of it was surrounded with a, a cushion, mm-hmm. a r- rubber cushion. So in essence, the rubber dinghy would have been bouncing up against the rubber cushion and rubber bouncing on rubber doesn't make very much noise
0: right right and i could see that being have i could see that having rubber on there because with the current hitting the bottom the bottom couple steps of that swing step you know it's it's going to make it bounce up and down so that's why they probably had that set up that way
1: right that's right and and, and uh, uh basically for the ease of getting out of it because mm-hmm. they could tie it up to the eye ring and then everybody could walk to the nose of the dinghy and then step on the swim step and they'd be in right uh, i also want to i want to say though that the evidence is pretty clear that when the children were not on the yacht the swim step door was left open i found that Pretty peculiar as to why you would to leave the swim step door open all night long, but mm-hmm. apparently that's what they did. They they left the swim step door open. So um, if someone was pointed towards that open swim step door, uh, the next thing they would hit would be the teakwood step, and then they'd be in the water.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay makes a lot of sense. So what did you, so, so did, did she have any injuries to her head or anything from, you know, like technically she fell? I mean, you think she would have hit her head somewhere?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that question, Charlotte, uh, because it's, it's been one that's been very troubling to me, uh, in the last year or so, uh, people have tried to suggest that Natalie was not unconscious and Mm -hmm. thrown overboard. And I can tell you from the forensic evidence, from the autopsy report and the specific uh, uh, forensic studies that were done during the autopsy, there was absolutely no injury to her head. Mm. The only injury that she had on her head was an, an abrasion a like a brush uh, mark type abrasion, not a bruise, but an abrasion that was on her cheek and uh, on her right cheek, I believe, and on her right forehead. Uh, as if when she fell, she brushed up against something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the face the face has a lot of of, of blood vessels in it small ones and so if you get hit in the face i mean if somebody slaps you or punches you the likelihood particularly if you're a little woman like natalie is you're going to end up with bruises on the face mm-hmm. she had no bruises on her on her head or her face and when they did the autopsy for those of you who don't know about autopsies what they do is they pull back the skin, it it just makes me cringe to even think about them doing this to Natalie, but they pull back the skin of the scalp and uh, I'm saying they pull back the scalp so that they can see the top of the skull and also look in the interior of the scalp to look for bruises. I mean, that's exactly why they do it. Then they remove the brain And they look at the brain to see if they could find any damage to the brain. And she had no bruising under her scalp, no damage to her brain. She had no injuries to her head. Hmm. So do I believe that she was knocked out and thrown overboard? Absolutely not. There is no evidence to support that theory, but there is evidence to support another uh, reasonable inference as to how Natalie got in the water.
0: hmm Okay. Well, yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, like, you know, like, like the boat we had, you know, not only had the step, but there, but there was an area, you know, a, a small deck out there where, where where you could stand, and that deck, you know, if if it's if, if if there's waves, I mean, it doesn't have to really be huge waves either. That deck gets slick. So I mean, she could have maybe been pushed off you know that particular deck or that area back there well i i
1: uh show this in great detail in my book but i believe uh that there is substantial evidence that natalie was grabbed by the throat and perhaps pushed okay towards the swim step door or she was backing up and slipped and fell off of the off of the swim step. Um, to me, that is more more probable. Yeah. In Natalie's case, because of certain injuries to her body, uh, as well as uh, that the swim step door being open, and the captain's uh, statements. Uh, which he has consistently made uh, w- was that there was a screaming, banging fight in the master stateroom that spilled out onto the deck, uh, back deck of the yacht, uh, mm-hmm. immediately before Natalie quote disappeared. Close okay. quote.
0: Okay. Um, the other uh, there's a question in the chat room. Um, did she know how to swim?
1: Natalie Wood did not know how to swim, and not only did she not know how to swim, she was absolutely terrified of deep, dark water, which was ocean water, Mm -hmm. and keep in mind, well, you wouldn't know this without me telling you, but the evening was a starless evening because it had been rainy and windy and cloudy. It was a starless evening. There was no moon uh, it was only like a sliver of a moon and it was it was concealed by the clouds so when natalie went into the water she couldn't swim she was in deep dark water and she wouldn't have been able to see anything unless it had a light on she couldn't see the shore mm. she wouldn't be able to see other boats she couldn't see anything unless there was a light on in it so to me, that's particularly troubling.
0: Absolutely. Question in the chat room says, uh, if she was grabbed by the throat, wouldn't there have been bruises, uh, bruises to show that she'd been grabbed there?
1: There, in the autopsy report, yes, sir. there was a scratch right in the middle of Natalie Wood's throat. And based on my uh, research and also discussions with my forensic expert, uh, who is a former uh, chief medical examiner for the state of Rhode Island and had uh, performed autopsies on many, many people who had died uh, by drowning. Um, We uh, believe there's strong evidence that the scratch on her throat was made by a fingernail, a thumb nail or a fingernail.
0: Okay. The other thing I was just thinking, too, is, you know, you're out at night on on the ocean. You can't swim. You decide that you're going to go deal with the dinghy. Wouldn't you, I mean, as a precaution, and and wouldn't you put on a life jacket, at least just in case you fell? Well,
1: um, you know, it's pretty hard to say. Right. With respect to Natalie and whether or not they even had life jackets on, you know. Back in 1981, they weren't as strict about things like that as they are today. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's some evidence for your listeners to consider about whether or not she'd get up in the middle of the night. First of all, the contention is she was sleeping and she couldn't couldn't sleep. Well, when they found Natalie, uh, she had on a nightshirt and some socks, but she also had uh, some rings on uh a um uh, bracelet on um, one arm and also a um chain around her waist now all of the women that i talked to said they'd never go to bed with a chain around their waist so i don't think there's really any evidence to show that natalie was trying to sleep and got up to go check a dinghy.
0: Yeah, considering like you say, she was in socks, especially a deck like that. Even if it's deep wood, it's pretty slick to be walking around in socks out there in the dark, you know. So it doesn't. You, I agree with you that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. No, it it, it really doesn't. Uh, the the dinghy couldn't be
1: banging out there. Mm-hmm. Natalie was was still partially jeweled. Um, Uh, Of course, she had the had the jacket on and who knows when and why she put the jacket on. Maybe when they were arguing, she got cold. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. But uh, there were also and I haven't I haven't mentioned this, but uh, the forensic evidence shows that there was a substantial bruise on the underside of Natalie Woods right forearm that covered basically close to half of of the length of her forearm. That's how big the bruise was. And it was determined to be a fresh bruise. My forensic expert said that she has no doubt that the bruise was sustained before Natalie went in the water. Hmm. Well, if Natalie had on a down jacket, she and she was using her arm defensively. The likelihood is she wouldn't have been able to be bruised as much as she would if she didn't have the jacket on. So that's why my expert feels pretty confident that Natalie's forearm bruise was, and by the way, that's a classic defensive wound when somebody starts looks like they're going to hit somebody they put up their forearm and they get hit in the forearm uh, before they get injured further um, so and then there was also a very deep bruise on uh, one of her knees uh, that was also determined to be recent and finally there was a substantial contusion by the way i've, I've called these bruises but in the report they're called contusions. Uh, there was also a substantial contusion on her, uh, on one of her ankles, uh, which, uh, to me, uh, was my expert, Mm -hmm. was more than likely sustained when she fell into the water, along with the abrasion on her cheek. That is, she went down on her knee, which caused a substantial bruise on the knee. By the way, that bruise was so big, it probably covered her entire knee. Um, and then in falling in the water, she hit her ankle on something.
0: Um, my next question, I was just thinking about when you talk about the bruise on her arm, what kind of thing would cause that? Would, would that be an object You know, for that, that for that size of bruise?
1: Well, that's an interesting question, Charlotte, that you answered. Um, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, uh, who was called the corner to the stars back when he was the chief medical examiner, he and two other people, by the way, is, is the other forensic uh, pathologists were part of his staff. One was a strangulation expert and the other was a chokehold expert, which sends a signal to me that before the autopsy even started, they thought that maybe Natalie had been strangled or choked. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to Thomas Naguchi. He went on uh, the late night show um, after he wrote his book in 1983. And he told the millions of viewers that he matched up the bruise on Natalie's arm with uh, some uh, things that were on the top of the dinghy like Natalie hurt herself when she was trying to get back in the dinghy Uh, well first of all that was never done as a matter of fact the autopsy report specifically states that the bruises could not be matched up to anything and secondly if Natalie had on her down jacket which she obviously did when she hit the water reaching over the dinghy she would be protected by the down jacket
2: mm-hmm.
1: so the likelihood of that kind of bruise happening would be uh, very very slim and then thirdly natalie's arm wasn't nearly long enough to reach over this dinghy uh if she, when she was in the water uh, it takes a lot of effort to get in a dinghy from the water and she would have had to paddled very, very hard and be very strong to get up high enough to be able to get her arm that far uh, over the pontoon, And uh, if she did, she'd be in the dinghy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she wouldn't be in the water. So it it's pretty obvious that that bruise was sustained during the fight that they had.
0: Well, the other thought I had, too, was that, you know, if she's doing all this reaching over the top of the dinghy or reaching over wherever she's reaching this is a this is a puffy jacket and the chances are it's going to tear at some point because she's reaching over this stuff so that's kind of suspicious too you know you think that there, there, there would be rips in that thing
1: yes uh yeah i agree with you there, there there'd be some evidence of it if she if she bruised her, her forearm trying to reach over the sides of the pontoons right. of the dinghy um
0: I just don't think that anyone could could conclude that because there's no evidence of it. Mm-hmm. Now, if this was going on with this fight, what, what, what was Christopher Walken supposed to be doing during all this?
1: Well, that's another great question, Charlotte. Um, Christopher Walken told the the uh, detectives. When he was interviewed in his uh, hotel room uh, that Sunday morning, mm-hmm. that uh, he was asleep with all this happened, and quote, he slept all night, and then uh, a short time later, about two years later, he was interviewed by the Face magazine. Uh, it was a British publication, I believe. That's. The face, F-A-C-E, if anybody wants to try to find it. Uh, and in that article, he told the reporter that he was to sleep all night, uh, in which the reporter commented at the very end, it was a great alibi. Well, they called it a perfect alibi.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of find that hard to believe, too, because, I mean, you're below deck sleeping and there's a fight, well, obviously a fight going on either below deck and then it's taken above your head essentially. So I kind of find it hard to believe that he could sleep through a fight like that.
1: Well, not only that Charlotte, but I found hard evidence that Christopher Walken was not asleep. Uh, when, um, uh, the authorities were alerted that Natalie Wood was missing. I have I have uh, uh, three witnesses that have said they saw him mm-hmm. uh, on the the deck of the boat when they went to the boat. So I have absolutely no doubt that Christopher Walker lied to the authorities in 1981, and he's lied every time that he's been interviewed, where he said he was asleep all night. Okay. He knows more than what he said.
0: Could this maybe, you know, just to play devil's advocate with this, is there any chance that this could have been an accident? Like maybe uh, like you say, Robert you know, maybe it was Robert Wagner she was arguing with and they got into this argument and again she was stepping back, you know, like you say, and then she took one step too many. And then they were covering up because it was an accident because they were afraid of, of being accused of murder. Well, um, let me answer you
1: this way okay under the law of california at the time in 1981 if robert wagner had anything to do with her it ended up in the water and then if he knew she was in the water he was obliged to to get her out of the water okay and if he stood there and watched her float away with a dinghy then, under California law at the time, it would constitute second degree murder with what they call implied malice aforethought. Uh, that is, uh, ordinarily, if you are walking along a lake and you see somebody in the lake and they're drowning, you have absolutely no duty or obligation to go fish them out. But if you have something to do with them getting in the lake, And if you don't help them get out, you have killed them just as sure of as you've shot them in the head with a gun.
0: Hmm. This case just gets more and more mysterious.
1: Particularly when they don't know how to swim and you
0: know it. Right. See, the twists keep coming with this case. It's incredible. So what did Robert Wagner, you know, the the police, you know, kind of when police go out on scene after an event like this, especially where a wife has died, they're looking for reaction, you know, on the people they're interviewing. What kind of reaction did did Robert Wagner have when he was being interviewed?
1: Um, Robert Wagner was interviewed twice by the uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department in 1981. Uh, the first time was for six minutes, uh, in the sheriff's, uh, aero bureau where they have helicopters, uh, by the way, they escorted Walken and Wagner off the Island in a sheriff's helicopter. Uh, he, the, he was interviewed for a grand total of six minutes, wow. uh, in the sheriff's office and then released and Walken was interviewed probably for about 10 minutes and then released. And then a few days later, uh, Robert Wagner was interviewed in his bedroom uh, with his lawyer present Uh, and uh, uh, basically uh, told them a rendition of what happened Mm -hmm. that has evolved and changed over the years. And in my book, I show these various statements that he's made to the press and, and in articles and, and his own book, uh, and to uh, an author who is a very, very dear friend of his, uh, how they've changed over the years, which I think is very telling and also under the law of California at the time, it's evidence of a consciousness of guilt. Mm -hmm. That is, when somebody starts telling uh, uh, many different stories about what happened, um, a jury, for instance, could infer a consciousness of guilt. That is, they wouldn't be doing it if they were guilty.
0: Absolutely. And somebody in the chat room just pointed out that women do not go to bed or to sleep at night with all their jewelry on.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, interestingly, Charlotte, I actually did a poll of women to ask them whether or not at night they took their jewelry off before they took their clothes off or they took their clothes off and then their jewelry. That is which one came first. Um, And the overwhelming majority of women said they took their jewelry off Um, first, but there were a few women who said they took their jewelry off last. Maybe they liked their jewelry so much they want to keep it on (laughs) to the last minute. I don't know. You never know.
0: Must be the bling. The reason why,
1: that's right, (laughs) but the reason why I asked them that was I believe that Natalie was interrupted when she was getting ready for bed. And right before the argument started between she and Robert Wagner that was precipitated by uh, a violent scene that Robert Wagner um, engaged in before Natalie went down to the master stateroom.
0: Here's a question. I don't know if you can answer it, but what was her relationship like le- leading up to this trip that, that they went on? I mean, were, were they having pro- problems before?
1: well i actually i actually interviewed natalie's hairdresser Mm -hmm. uh, who had been her hairdresser in several movies and they were very good friends uh the hairdresser actually visited natalie at her house and did her hair at her house a few times but the hairdresser told me and by the way she wrote this in a book called hairdresser to the stars it's it's a very good book by the way uh Uh, The hairdresser told me that uh, Natalie was complaining about Robert Wagner being intoxicated all the time. Mm. And then the boat captain, Friday night, when they stayed in the Pavilion Hotel, uh, he has stated that Natalie uh, told him she was getting tired of his jealous, drunken rants. About her uh, leading men in the movies that she was doing, and there was also other evidence that he had done that before. That he had erupted in, uh, in a very uh, uh, scary way uh, over Natalie Wood's uh, co-stars, the men in the in their, her movies. Uh, so their relationship going up to that weekend was a little rocky. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way.
0: Well, that's what I was wondering, because, you know, to get to, to, to escalate to the point where he might have pushed her in the water, it, it has to have something that that, that had a buildup, you know, towards this.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, Charlotte, you're, all your readers and maybe you are thinking right now, now, what motive would Robert Wagner have for wanting Natalie Wood dead? Mm-hmm. Or for letting Natalie Wood die, when he knew that she couldn't swim and was in the ocean, uh, about ready to float away from the yacht. And uh, uh, while I while I don't want to spill all the beans, right? Uh, there are four substantial motives why Robert Wagner would want to have let Natalie Wood drown. And uh, I outgown those in detail uh, in the book for everybody that's interested.
0: Absolutely. You guys are going to have to get this book. It's fantastic. Um, my question now, going back to Christopher Walken, you know, if, if he knew this was going on on the boat and didn't help or assist, I mean, that would involve him as far as aiding and abetting, correct? Well, uh... Well, he wouldn't No, uh, he,
1: he, he couldn't be guilty of aiding and abetting a homicide, but at the time, uh, if, uh, and I, I didn't really look into this in depth, but mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident of it in 1981. If he made a false statement to the, to the, uh, uh, detective that could potentially be a crime. And in addition, If he didn't tell them everything that he knew, that potentially could have been a crime. However, uh, the statute of limitations has long expired on those offenses.
0: Wow. Well, have you always felt, and I'm going to ask you this, you know, off the cuff, you know, as far as even before you did the research, that it was probably Robert Wagner that, that, that may have shoved her off the boat?
1: No, really, I uh, here's what I thought before I ever started my investigation. I thought everything that I was reading sounded awful fishy to me. And I thought the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department uh, starting in 2011 was either totally incompetent or not seriously investigating the case because of Wagner's celebrity. That's what I thought. Hmm. Uh since I didn't know anything about the facts, I couldn't really believe in my heart that Robert Wagner had anything to do with her death. But uh, I had made up my mind. I was going to try to find out.
0: Okay. Also, what was her blood alcohol level? Because I know there's a lot of stories that maybe, that, you know, that she was drunk and she fell off.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Charlotte, you're just asking some terrific questions. Uh, I think maybe you know more about uh, uh, criminal law and, and, and investigation than you're letting on. Uh, uh, here's the thing about this, which is, which is so very interesting, is that when they performed the autopsy, they took blood from Natalie's heart and they examined it for uh, a number of drugs, um uh including cocaine, and uh, marijuana, the, those kinds of things, and they also examined it for her blood alcohol level. Now, when the coroner held a big press conference and told everybody that Natalie's blood alcohol level was uh, one point two, I believe, mm-hmm. which was in nineteen eighty one. Uh, legally intoxicated Mm -hmm. uh, for purposes of driving. um, He had to have known or he was totally incompetent that you don't get blood out of a heart chamber and test it for drugs or alcohol. That if you do that uh, because of uh, um, uh, post-death redistribution the levels of the uh, alcohol or or drugs are going to be elevated when you take it out of the heart. The place to take it out is the femoral artery.
2: Okay.
1: Now, you know, forensic pathologists have known that for a long, long time. So why they took the blood out of the heart to test it is, is well, it's just one of the one of the more troubling things that occurred in her case. However, to answer your question, because of that, the reading was elevated and how much it was elevated. I don't know. We'd have to have taken some blood out of her female artery to compare, but it was elevated. And in addition, the evidence is clear because I found a witness uh, who who told me this A witness who was there. The police manipulated the report to indicate or show that Natalie was more intoxicated than what she was. As a matter of fact, she they attributed a slip and uh, a witness saying uh, she sounded like she was pissed off. They they actually uh, indicated in the report that that was Natalie when in truth and in fact it was Robert Wagner huh. and I have the witness uh, who uh, who was there and and uh, told me that information so was Natalie wood drinking yes was Natalie wood drunk not by a long shot um, was she slightly intoxicated perhaps I don't know but she wasn't nearly as drunk as uh, everybody has tried to make her out to be, and, and the reason for that is, of course, they're trying to suit yes. Well, she was drunk, and she got up and went out to the swim step, and she just fell overboard. Um, which, uh, you know, is a good story, but but I think the evidence shows otherwise.
0: Let's see. I'm looking. Here we go. Oh, here's a question out of the chat room. Wasn't there a rumor that Robert Wagner was supposedly jealous of Christopher Walken?
1: Um, that may have come about uh, at considerably after her death. I, I don't remember any evidence that I found that uh, that 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 was a rumor. Then I think that happened after her death.
0: Okay. Okay. My other question is, um, when you started to, you know, put the stuff together, you know, and do your research, how hard was it to find witnesses for this? Um,
1: Before I answer that question, can I go back to that last question? Absolutely. Because I may have misinterpreted it. Absolutely, sir. There was evidence that Robert Wagner was jealous or envious or both of, um, uh, Natalie and Walken. So from that standpoint, perhaps there was a rumor that, that, uh, he was, uh, jealous of Walken. but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a rumor that Wagner and Walken had some kind of thing or something, or that mm-hmm. somebody thought they had some kind of thing. Uh, even though there's evidence that Robert Wagner is bisexual, um, but that's another story.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay,
1: now, the yeah. answer about the witnesses. Sure. Yes, it was extremely difficult to find some of these witnesses. As a matter of fact, the last witness that I was talking about, it took me three years to find the man. Wow. Uh, and, uh, some of the witnesses I never, never could find. A lot of the witnesses were deceased. Some of the witnesses were even hiding out. Uh, some of those I tracked down, and others uh, just refused to talk to me. So, uh, yes, it, it was it was very difficult to find people.
0: Why do you think they refused to talk to you? Is it just they just didn't want to get involved, or...? maybe you feel that they, they, they knew stuff that they just didn't want to talk about?
1: Well, let me, let me give you an example of one of them who basically ran from me, for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> Immediately after Natalie's death, uh, Dr. Noguchi, the, the chief pathologist, sent a friend of his that he called a special deputy uh, to um, uh, Catalina Island to investigate the boat and the dinghy, mm-hmm. and to report back to him what he found. Uh, in addition to answering some questions, now I'm not here to promote Dr. Noguchi's book, right? But in the book, in 1983, he 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 explains how he sent this guy to the island. Well. The man did write a report and it was buried in a confidential envelope for 35 years until I filed a lawsuit and got my hands on a copy of it. And if anybody's interested in reading it, it's in my book. Okay. Along with a multitude of documents and photographs and things like that. Well, anyway, uh um, I wanted to talk to this fellow because I wanted to know what else he and Dr. Noguchi talked about, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to ask him some questions about some of the things in his report. Um, I, I think the man left California to try to keep me from finding him because I had a subpoena when I filed the lawsuit. And I was going to subpoena him to a deposition. And uh, I think he found out I was looking for him, and he just took off. And I've never been able to track this guy down. Uh, I did find a relative and sent an email to him asking him if they would help me find him. And, of course, I never heard from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that's just one example of the problems I have with witnesses who didn't want to talk to me.
0: Interesting. Um, Do you think that Robert Wagner is ever going to say anything, even on his deathbed?
1: No. I don't think Robert Wagner is is man enough, even on his deathbed, to admit that he had anything to do with Natalie's death. So, So the answer is no. I don't think he'll ever do it. And I think that's because he's told his daughters uh, for for 40 years that he had nothing to do with it, that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think he'd ever tell the, his daughters the truth.
0: So what happened to the boat after all this happened? Do you know?
1: Well, Charlotte, uh, to me, this is a very sad event. Uh, the boat was uh donated uh to a charity and that charity sold it to 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 a couple Mm -hmm. they kept it for a little while and then a retired airline pilot uh bought the boat and actually um drove it Uh, i guess that's the word you use the boat people use but actually motored it uh from um uh, Marina Del Rey all the way to Hawaii. And he kept the boat over there as his prized possession until he became ill. And, uh, I was able to communicate with him, uh, before he passed away. Mm -hmm. He had the boat for sale. Uh, apparently he didn't get it sold because it, it sat in the Marina, little Marina over there in Hawaii and just basically fell apart. Uh, And in uh, January of... uh, uh, I think it was January of of 2021,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: uh, I discovered an article that was written where the state of Hawaii commandeered the boat and destroyed it. So there is no more splendor, which to me is very sad because Natalie had a lot of good times on that boat. Mm-hmm. It certainly wasn't the boat's fault.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So what's next for you?
1: Oh, what's next for me? Well, I'm not finished with Natalie. Okay. Um, yeah, you get a scoop tonight. Um, something that's just recently ha- happened, an event in Natalie's case. I took a handwritten formal request to the coroner to the current coroner uh jonathan lucas to ask him to conduct a public inquest into natalie wood's death so that we could finally have a final official ruling as to whether it was an accident
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or her death was at the hands of another Uh, an inquest jury can't find somebody guilty of a crime Mm -hmm but an inquest jury can determine if someone's death was at the hands of another. And I took over evidence, a copy of my book, uh, and, uh, gave him a detailed letter as to why I thought this would be, uh, something that really needs to be done in Natalie's case. Um, in addition, I started a petition on change.org. Um, And if you look it up, just look up corner, uh, use the word corner, and I think it'll pop up then. But I started a petition uh, that I wanted to give to Dr. Lucas. So if your readers are interested, go to that uh, Mm website and uh, sign up my petition.
0: Sounds great. Where can people get your book, sir? Yes.
1: Yes. If you want a hardback uh, edition of my book, you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, uh, or really your local bookstore. Uh, if they don't have it there, they can certainly order it for you. If you want a paperback book, you can go to my website, which is brainstorm, all one word, Nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. And in addition to being able to order a paperback, uh, you can also see uh, a multitude of items from the lawsuits I filed and and just other uh, pieces of evidence that I couldn't because of space put in the book. And uh, it'll give you a great detailed idea of what I had to go through to get certain documents and records.
0: Fantastic. Sir, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. I learned so much. It was great. It was was terrific.
1: Well, Charlotte, it it was an honor to be on your program, and I, I appreciate you so much asking me.
0: Absolutely. Well, you have a good rest of the evening, sir, and thank you again so, so much.
1: And you too. All
0: right. Good night, sir. Okay, well, that was a great show. I learned uh, the you know extra details about the Natalie Wood case. Um, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Hang on one second. Let me move everything around here. Da-da-da, okay. All right. Start pushing my buttons. He was a great guest. I've never done this with Skype before and running back and forth because he, he has a hearing issue, so he had to have it Skype so he could have captions. So that was a first for me. But I want to thank everybody for coming. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. We're looking for more subscribers. There's a little ghost down at the bottom right-hand corner of uh, the frame. Click on that. That'll make you a subscriber. We've got great guests like this gentleman on, coming on every once in a while. Other different types of guests. We cover a lot of topics here, not just paranormal. But this is the kind of guests we like to get on. And uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated my show, share it with five people. We're equal opportunity here. We just want to get the word out about California Haunts Radio. If you want to visit the paranormal team, that's CaliforniaHaunts.org. Uh, that website is under um, changes because we're we're, we're switching uh, providers. So uh, you're going to find stuff on there, and then you're going to find stuff missing on there. So it's kind of hit and miss right now. But you can visit this this site at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, and you go in there. And if you have trouble finding our YouTube site, okay, just type in California Haunts on youtube that's how you gotta type in california hots on youtube to find the youtube site um message just came up the best way to do that is to go to the website because the website has all these well almost all. Oh, i gotta get caught up on it i had a couple nights where i was tired but <laughs> anyway you can click on any video on that website and that'll take you over to uh you know the, the youtube site also i have all the links to our podcasts so we not only are at RSS.com for our podcast, but we're also on Apple and Spotify and iHeartRadio and, and TuneIn and all that good stuff. Okay. We do have a site there, but you can go to the website and find those links too. So if you're driving a car and you want to hear some shows that we did a while back or whatever, you know, or you're bored, you know, it's better to you, you want to hear my voice. There you have it. You know, click on that one, you know, while you're driving or cruising around or cleaning house or whatever. So you, you can get that access too. Uh, you see the ticker down at the bottom that's because we're a non nonprofit or we're a nonprofit. All, all the expenses for this comes out of my pocket including the expenses for the paranormal team so when something goes wrong just like the headphones thank you Jennifer uh, I have to pay out of pocket to replace stuff so you know anything you could donate to help would be great because I, I want to keep the show on the air keep these kind of cool guests coming and uh, I love doing this I'm a journalist uh, by trade in fact when he made the comment about me knowing a lot more about police work I do. I've, I spent five years on a crime beat in Woodland, California. I was the, I was a crime beat reporter. So yeah, I've I've been through you know the whole court thing and feds and all that. And that's my that's my main experience for uh, newspaper reporting. So anyway, uh, yes, PayPal me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, you can go to Venmo and just type in California Haunts, and that'll take you directly to the California Haunts section on Venmo. But I want to thank you guys for coming. Tomorrow, Dr. Simon Hine is going to be with us, and he's going to be talking about remote viewing and remote communication. So that should be a good show. Usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Great, 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 great show coming up. Also, remember uh, the ghost tour. There's one ticket left, so whoever's out there who wants to go on this ghost tour with me, belly up to the bar, as they say, and hit CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and check out special events. You can get your ticket there. Or if you're in our meetup, you can get it directly through Meetup. Anyway, again, I want to thank you guys for coming. And I'm going to show his information at the end so you know what his website is and where to get the book. And I can tell you the book is nice and thick. It's a really good read. I've, I was able to get through half of it over the weekend. And uh, I'm going to read the rest of it this week. I mean, this the, the, this book is something, that, something to behold. Okay, so let me do this. And uh, here's the info for the book and his website. So your website is nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. And, of course, the book is Brainstorm. And as you said, that book is available at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, but you can also get the paperback version from his website, which is nataliewoodbrainstorm.com. So I want to thank everybody and I will see you tomorrow at 6 30 PM. Pacific. Have a good one.